The Holy Spirit wants to speak to us in every area of our lives. He wants to guide us into God's will. And as we walk in God's will, we receive God's blessing in our lives. So I want to be guided by the Holy Spirit, and I know you do as well. If we don't follow the Holy Spirit's guidance, or if we can't hear the Holy Spirit's guidance, or we choose to go a different way, then we sin. That's what sin is all about, not following God's guidance in our lives. And that sin brings God's judgment upon ourselves. Uh, sin brings God's judgment upon nations as well. And so today we're going to talk about a Christian citizen's responsibility, part two. Uh, part one was last Sunday, and this is part two. And there are only two parts, okay? So next Sunday we're on to uh, the gifts of the Spirit. But part two, God wants you, he wants every Christian to know his will about how you should vote. I believe that God has a will uh, in this election, and he wants us to vote according to his will. Some people think you can vote however you feel. It really doesn't matter. You know, one person can vote for this way, another person can vote that way, and you just kind of do what you want. It doesn't matter to God. But that's not how Christians should vote. I believe we can know God's will through his spirit about everyday decisions, including how we should vote in the election. Now, my message this morning is not just about how we individually should vote, uh, and the, the, we're going to be looking at different policies, but also different issues, but how we can help others to vote as well. Each of us has a circle of influence, and God wants us to be influencers for him, that people might vote and exercise their right and responsibility as American citizens in a godly way. People often vote certain ways for wrong reasons. We shouldn't vote based on how our family and how our ancestors have always voted. You know, my great-grandma always... That's not how we should vote as Christians. We shouldn't vote based on whether we really like this person, this candidate, or don't like that candidate. We shouldn't vote based on whether we identify with the candidate in one way or another. As Christians... We are to vote based on how the Spirit guides us through the Word of God. We look at biblical principles that apply to the issues at stake in the election, and then we compare those principles with the policies that the candidates are promoting, that the candidates are saying that they're going to follow. And the candidate whose policies best matches biblical principles is the one we should vote for. Now, last Sunday, we looked at a passage from 1 Timothy chapter 2, and I'd like us to look at it once more today. The scriptures are written out in, your, in an outline in your bulletin. I'd encourage you to follow along there. And on the back are study questions that will be used in a number of the life groups, including our life group tonight in Chesterfield. 1 Timothy 2, verse 1 through 4 says, I urge you then... First of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And so this passage teaches us how we are to pray for government leaders, Basically, we're to pray for government leaders that will enact policies that protect the church 
and allow for evangelism, for the church to reach out to spread the message of the gospel. Now, you might ask, why so much concern about the church? You know, what, what about me? What about my family? What about my concerns? Well, as a Christian, you are part of the church. And when the church is blessed, you're going to be blessed. And the Bible teaches us that when the church is blessed, the nation will be blessed as well. So as we follow God's principles, we are blessed, church is blessed, and the nation is blessed. Today we're going to look at three policies that I believe Three issues that I believe are of, of great importance in the upcoming election. Now, these are not the only important issues. Uh, there are others as well. In fact, in your bulletin, there's a, a voter guide, and it lists uh, ten different issues. And, of course, there are many more issues. Uh, and the major candidates' positions on those ten issues, but we have a limited amount of time, so on. I think you're happy I only chose to talk about three this morning. But I believe these three are some of the most important issues that we are facing, particularly in this presidential election, uh, and of course the election at every level, the state level, the local level as well, in 2016. And I believe if a candidate is right on his position on these three policies, then the other policies they have tend to fall into line. Also, if a candidate is wrong on these three policies, then their policies on the other, their positions on the other policies tend to go the wrong direction as well. And so today, we're going to look at these three policies and compare, and uh, you can compare the candidate stands on these. So the first one we want to look at is what is the candidate's policy or position on abortion? Now, I believe the Bible teaches that abortion is the murder of an unborn child. The Bible teaches that life begins at conception. Scripture teaches that every unborn baby is a human being created in the image of God. We could preach multiple messages on that. I'm just going to look at one verse. Not the typical verse that's used. It's found in whoops, uh, Luke 1, verse 43. And this is Elizabeth speaking here. And I'll give you the context in a minute. She says, But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Now the context here is that Mary, the mother of Jesus, had come to visit Elizabeth. Elizabeth was pregnant at that time with John the Baptist. And these verses indicate that John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb heard the greeting of Mary. And we know today that babies can hear what's going on outside. Heard the greeting of, of Mary and the baby, according to scripture, leaped for joy, the unborn child leaped for joy in Elizabeth's womb. Well, I believe that's a conclusive indication that God's word views unborn children as persons, as persons that can respond to speech, as persons that can have joy, as persons that can understand what somebody outside is speaking to them. And so there are many other passages, but we're going to go by the, uh, by the understanding that abortion is the murder of an unborn child. As a nation, we've become numb to the horror of abortion. 
Abortion was made legal by the infamous Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision way back in 1973. It's a lot of years ago. It's uh, tens of millions of babies ago that have lost their lives through abortion. And in 1973, an activist court invented a constitutional right to abortion. They discovered the right to abortion in the original Constitution, uh, which was not there. And so abortion now is the leading cause of death in the U.S. Now, you won't see it listed, uh, but there's about a million babies aborted in America each in every year at the current time. Three in ten women will have an abortion before the age of 45, or by the age of 45. 22% of all pregnancies in America today end in abortion. So let's look at some of the biblical principles that apply to the issue of abortion. I believe the Bible teaches that abortion is the shedding of innocent blood. Let's look at Psalm 106. It says, They sacrificed their sons and daughters to demons. They shed innocent blood. The blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was desecrated by their blood. And so there are no new sins. There are just new ways of committing old sins. Uh, there's nothing new under the sun. And these verses here are speaking of Israel, who, who mingled with the pagan people around them and began to adopt their practices in their wicked ways. The Bible here speaks of sacrificing children to demons behind the idols that they worshipped. And the sacrifice of these children was called the shedding of innocent blood. And so abortion today is doing exactly the same thing. It's sacrificing unborn babies to idols, shedding innocent blood, and America has been desecrated by the blood of these tens of millions of babies that have been aborted in our land since 1973. Why do women have abortions? Well, the most common reason pollsters find is that it's inconvenient. The second reason uh, is they don't think they can afford it. And so the idols that unborn babies are sacrificed to in America are the self-centered idols of convenience. I want my life to be convenient and I'm willing to sacrifice this child that I might have convenience. Second idol is the idol of, of money. I'm going to sacrifice my child because I want to spend my money on something else. I have other uses for my money. Why don't women consider putting a child up for adoption? Adoption is widely available. Families are looking for babies to adopt. The top reason why women don't give their babies up for adoption and choose to abort them is because giving one's child away is wrong. Let me say that again. The number one reason why women don't put babies up for adoption, the number one reason women choose to abort and murder their own children is because giving one's child away is wrong. That's unbelievable, isn't it? The desecration of abortion really must be eliminated from America. God will judge nations that shed innocent blood. Psalm 106 continues, it says, They defiled themselves by what they did. By their deeds they prostituted themselves. 
Therefore the Lord was angry with his people and abhorred his inheritance. He handed them over to the nations and their foes ruled over them. And so the next, these next verses in this passage show us the result of the sacrifice of children to idols or to demons, as the scripture says. I might add that when you sacrifice a child to demons through abortion, even though you don't understand what you are doing, you come under the power of those demons and you need to be set free. I believe that the release of perversion in this country since 1973 is a direct result of this demonic power that's been released through the sacrifice of millions of unborn babies. Innocent blood being sacrificed. And what is God's response? Well, he's angry. He's angry with a nation that sheds innocent blood. He will judge such a nation. He's going to hand them over to other nations and have their enemies rule over them. And so we must elect candidates whose policies are directed to end abortion in America. Now as a church, we want to do all we can, not only to stand against abortion, but also to help pregnant mothers in difficult situations make the right decision to keep their baby. And so we're partnering, as Sarah mentioned, with uh, Thrive St. Louis, a Christian pro-life organization in this area to help those mothers right here in St. Louis. The women's ministry just announced on Friday that they're going to be making taggies or comfort blankets. I never heard of a taggy before, but maybe you moms have. Carol had to explain it to me. Uh, what is a taggy? But uh, comfort blankets for the babies of moms who choose... Uh, to keep their children. And we're, we're, uh, Thrive St. Louis has a whole program, a wonderful program to help mothers who make the choice for life, to help them to keep their babies, to support them after they uh, bring that child into the world. Our Christmas Blessings Project, which is what Sarah specifically mentioned, is also partnering with Thrive St. Louis to provide toys and clothes as Christmas gifts for these single parent families so that they have something uh, many of these moms don't have a lot of finances and we want to help them and bless them and encourage them in what God is uh, calling them to do. And so many things can be accomplished to reduce and to eliminate abortion by pro-life candidates at every level of government. So we're not just talking about the presidential race, we're talking about the state races, the local levels as well. We need to support pro-life candidates. The second question we'll look at this morning is what is the candidate's policy on the Supreme Court? Let's look at Isaiah 1, verse 23 and 26. It says, Your rulers are rebels, companions of thieves. They all love bribes and chase after gifts. They do not defend the cause of the fatherless. The widow's case does not come before them. I will restore your judges as in days of old. Your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you will be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. And so this passage begins with God's assessment of Israel's situation. His assessment of their leadership and their judges. They were all corrupt. And God had a plan to bring judgment and ultimately to restore Israel's judges and counselors so that justice and righteousness 
could once again be promoted. So in America, we have a judiciary system, and that judiciary was created to secure, to secure justice, to hear the facts in a case, and to determine how the existing law should be applied. The judiciary was originally designed to be the weakest branch of government. Judges could readily be removed by impeachment for failure to properly interpret the laws. But that has changed, and today the judiciary is probably the most powerful branch of government. The Supreme Court is now able to sweep aside centuries of law with a single verdict. Judges serve for a lifetime. Impeachment is almost unheard of. They're accountable to no one. As we've already said, the 1973 Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision created the right to abortion. I believe that would have been abhorrent to our nation's founders. In so doing, they struck down multiple state laws regulating the abortion, uh, regulating abortion. And the only way to change the 1973 decision of the Supreme Court is through another Supreme Court decision, the only realistic way to change. The president has the power to nominate Supreme Court justices. There are nine positions, eight currently are filled. Three of the current justices are 78 years or older. 78 years old or older. The next president may well have the right to appoint four Supreme Court justices, which will impact our country and our churches and our lives for decades. One of the major parties has a strong tendency to nominate activist judges. An activist judge is one who sees no problem with making decisions that alter the original meaning of the Constitution. That's what happened in Roe v. Wade. They considered the Constitution a living document. We can change it whichever way we want to change it. The other political party has a strong tendency to nominate strict constructionists. They interpret the Constitution according to its original meaning, which was the Constitution is based on a biblical foundation. And so we see the importance of weighing a candidate's position on the Supreme Court when deciding how to vote. The Bible teaches that judges are to judge justly. Psalm 81 says, God presides in the great assembly. He gives judgment among the gods. Quote, How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? And so God is the great judge. And he gives his verdict here from God's word. To, he gives his verdict from God's word to us. And in these verses here, God gives his judgment against earthly judges. He condemns judges who, do not, who defend the unjust. He condemns judges who show partiality to the wicked. And so judges, the judges in our country, should judge by the biblical principles that were ingrained in the Constitution. The next president will have the power not only to appoint Supreme Court justices, but hundreds of federal court justices at lower levels. And what are the issues that are critical in our time? We've already talked about abortion. Other issues are religious liberty, same-sex marriage, sexual orientation regulations, freedom of speech, criminalization of dissenting opinions, and many others. And so Christians should vote for candidates that will appoint judges who judge justly. 
The Bible says that judges are to defend and rescue the weak. Psalm 82 continues. So as God speaking, he says, Defend the cause of the weak and fatherless. Maintain the rights of the poor and oppressed. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. And so rather than judging unjustly, rather than propping up the wicked and showing partiality to the wicked, judges are to defend those who have no defenders. Judges are to defend those who are weak, like unborn babies. Judges should defend and maintain the rights of every citizen, including Christians. Every Christian should have the right to freedom of speech. Every Christian should have religious freedom, freedom to have political influence. Every Christian and Christian business should have the right to speak their opinion and run their business according to biblical convictions. And yet all of these rights are even now being eroded away by court decisions. The next president will exert enormous power over the judicial system appointments. So even now, anti-Christian forces are using the court system to silence Christian witnesses across the country. Homosexual activists target Christian college campus groups, and they force them off the campus. And here is the strategy. It's happening all across America. LGBT activists find a Christian organization that has bylaws or guidelines that say their leaders must be Christian and not involved in persistent sin. And so if the bylaws state that practicing homosexuals cannot be leaders, then they use that to force the group off campus for discrimination and or that would be termed hate speech. It's happening in university campuses all across America. Homosexual issues are being used uh, to silence Christians and even Christian colleges in California. We have an Assembly of God college there. It was targeted by Senate Bill 1146 uh, regarding LGBT discrimination. If that had passed, uh, that college would, meant, would probably have had to be closed down. Uh, but thankfully, with much prayer and work, a late amendment uh, reduced greatly the impact of that bill. And so Christian leaders in business and government are losing their jobs simply because they've spoken out concerning the biblical truth regarding homosexual behavior. And so anything that questions the current promotion of the homosexual lifestyle is open to being labeled as hate speech. And the uh, impetus behind that is the court system. And so a candidate's policy on the judiciary and Supreme Court is very important. Leads us to the third Issue, what is the candidate's policy on religious freedom? Isaiah 10 verses 1 and 2 says, Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. And so one of the most important principles in the United States is one of the principles we were founded on is religious freedom. Freedom to worship according to your own faith. Religious freedom, of course, was never intended to be unlimited. Uh, your religious beliefs cannot violate the laws of the country or seek to overthrow the country. And there's a whole question there about the 
uh, Muslim influence that we don't have time to get into. But religious freedom is under unprecedented attack in our country. The trend is towards what has happened already in Europe. Uh, in Europe, pastors have been arrested for hate speech simply by preaching what the Bible says on different topics. Homeschoolers have been imprisoned for daring to educate their children by biblical principles and not sending them to the state schools. Attacks on religious freedom are unjust laws. They're oppressive decrees. And as Christians, it's important for us to support candidates who will defend religious freedom. Churches must be allowed to worship freely. Exodus 8, 1, the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord says, Let my people go so that they may worship me. When the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt, they were not allowed to worship the Lord freely, and God delivered them from slavery so that they could worship him. And in churches uh, in America, we must support candidates who will fight for churches to have religious liberty. Back in 1954, the Johnson Amendment was passed, and the Johnson Amendment threatens churches with losing their IRS tax exemption if they speak favoring one candidate or another publicly. And for 180 years before that amendment was passed in 1954, pastors had been preaching about how faith should intersect with government issues with candidates. But with one amendment, that freedom was taken away. Now, the facts are that no church has lost their IRS exemption in 60 years since the amendment passed. Those are the facts. But the amendment has had a chilling effect on free speech from churches and pastors. Recently, various local governments have come after pastors insisting on examining their sermons for evidence of hate speech. And if that trend continues, things will get much worse. And so we must champion and support or support candidates who promote religious freedom for churches and candidates who work to repeal the Johnson Amendment. Christians must be allowed to live out their faith freely. Romans 13 says, For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. And this is the biblical place for government, to punish evil and to commend good behavior. The founders of America understood it was not the government's place to establish a state religion. That's why they fled from Europe. Europe had state religions, and the state church would tolerate no dissent. And so religious freedom was established in the First Amendment to the Constitution. It states, Congress shall make no law prohibiting or no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And so by the First Amendment, the government is prohibited by the Constitution from interfering with your religious beliefs. The government should not interfere with your witness to unbelievers. The government should not force you to pay for abortions. The government should not penalize you for speaking out on biblical truth. You should not be forced to promote what you consider immoral activities in your business. And the list could go on and on. 
the separation of church and state, I don't have time to go into this completely, was to prevent a state religion from being forced onto everyone. And the sad fact today is that a perverted understanding of the concept of separation of church and state is forcing a secular state religion on America. That is contrary to the Bible. And so we must support candidates who understand what is at stake with religious freedom and who will promote policies to defend it. And so today we've looked at just three important issues that are at stake in the upcoming election. Examine the issues of abortion, uh, the Supreme Court, and religious freedom in light of Scripture. There are many other important issues at stake. As I said before, there's a flyer in your bulletin showing the major positions of uh, presidential candidates on the 10 issues. On the back are positions of Missouri candidates up for election, governor, Senator, and what was the other one? Uh, Attorney General. And so, well, and with their positions on a number of issues. So I encourage you this week, well, in the next, what, two days. Uh, we don't have much time until it's, uh, the election takes place. But pray, seek God's will. And when you determine God's will for yourself, seek to influence others as well to vote according to biblical principles. Uh, if you missed last week's message, I'd encourage you to watch it. It's online. The main point was that every Christian should vote. They should vote for the best candidate, according to the biblical policies we've outlined today, who can win. You simply compare the candidate's positions, and you vote for the one who best aligns with the biblical issues, the biblical positions on those issues. And so... Our prayer, my prayer, and I trust your prayer as well, that God would move on the hearts of Americans this next week to bring about his will. Now we're talking about Christians today, and to become a Christian, to become a believer in Jesus Christ, uh, you need to admit that you sinned, believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and commit to following him. So let's bow our heads right now. We're going to pray. If you never prayed a prayer like this before, or you'd like to recommit your life to him this Sunday, I invite you to pray along with me something like this. Father, today, I admit that I've sinned. I've done wrong things. Please forgive me. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that my sins might be forgiven. Come into my life. I commit myself to following you as my Lord and Savior all my days. For those of us who are believers, let's pray as well. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being a citizen of the United States with the right and responsibility to vote. We pray that you would guide each person here, God, to vote by your word and your spirit. Give us opportunities in the couple days ahead to influence others to vote by your standards. We pray, God, that believers across this country and unbelievers as well would vote for candidates who promote policies in line with your word. We pray that your word would influence many, many people. May the best candidates who will protect your church and allow your witness to grow be elected. God, we pray that your will would be done next Tuesday. First and foremost, for the sake of the gospel, God. 
We pray that each of us would have humble hearts towards and gentle hearts to those who may disagree with our position on these issues and on this election. And finally, God, we pray that your church in this nation and your church right here at Life Church would grow and reach more people for Jesus in the next four years than we have in the last four. Help us to pray to saturate this election in the next days with prayer. Remind us to pray. We conclude this morning by praying, may your kingdom come, God. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.